upsets you? Maybe enormous lines, an irritable boss, or is it the impatient drivers on the freeway? Next on Abounding Grace, we'll see what upset Christ so much that it produces a physical and verbal response from him. But in doing so, he did not sin. This is amazing grace. Do you find it hard to imagine Jesus getting angry? I mean, when we think of Christ, pictures of love, kindness, gentleness, and grace usually flash through our minds, right? Well, as we're about to see, our Lord got very angry at something going on in the temple, and rightfully so. Welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us through John's Gospel, and we join him today in John chapter 2, where you might say, Jesus cleans house. Like I mentioned earlier, for those of you that pray for the service, we were, these lights up here on the stage were busted this morning. They were just off. The computer was all messed up, and we're hitting the button, and, and poor Ian, he's on vacation. We call him, hey, what are you doing? I'm not even there, man. You know, it's like, uh, he's helping us, and everybody's working on it. Everybody's working to get it done, and, and we were, you know, the, the worship team was practicing, and I came up, and I said, I just want to let you guys know there's not going to be no lights today. Uh, just be prepared for it. Can you guys see everything? Do you need, do we need a little light for you? You know, we're not going to have any lights. And I came up. They asked me if I could see uh, being, being up here. And I said, yeah, no problem. I can see. And, of course, you know, the, the iPad is lit up, so I can see that, no problem. And, and, and I was ready and prepared, and I want I mean, we, I just wanted, you know, we don't need lights to worship God here. We don't need lights. We don't need the stage lights. It's no big deal. We'll be okay. It'll be kind of weird in the beginning, but it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. It's like, whoa, we can, why don't they can't pay the electric bill? We can pay it just fine. It's no problem. It was just a piece of equipment. That we, but we, get, we can never get so dependent on things where we lose Jesus. And if we have to be without lights, then we'll worship without lights. If we, need, we don't have electricity, somehow we'll just worship the Lord together. But if Jesus sees us taking advantage of people, and he sees us using things to hurt and to harm people, I expect him to come and clean house. I invite him to come. Do you ever invite him to come and clean your house? Well, not literally, not literally, not like, oh, you know, he's not going to do that. I mean, if your house is that bad, we need to call you into the hoarder's show, man, and just like, but, you know, he's not going to come that. But I mean, your spiritual life, because the reality is, is that he's in the house, he's in a building. The temple was a building. What made it special was the presence of God. So we have a building. It's just a building. It's no big deal. It's just concrete and drywall, carpets, nothing. Just a building. But what makes it special is the people of God, the presence of God. Your home, hey, your house, your condo, your, the room that you rent, there's nothing hugely special about it. It's just drywall and whatever they did to frame it and everything. But what makes it special is you're there. Your body, just like any other body. But what makes it special is the presence of God there because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when's the last time you said, Lord, come clean my house? Start with me, then my house. What I see, what I hear. Clean my church, Lord. Clean, what, Lord, use me as a clean vessel. I think the psalmist said, you know, search me and know me. Reveal if there's any unclean thing in me and then lead me in the way of everlasting. 
It's too bad it's still happening today. But the Bible says in 1 Peter, and jot it down in chapter 4, verse 16, it says, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who don't obey? It does begin with us first. Now, I wish it it happened. You know, I wish that the cleaning happened once for all. Don't you? I just get saved and I'm done. Like Jesus. No, 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 no. You are not like Jesus and neither am I. Although we're getting closer and closer. We're being transformed by the renewal of our mind. There, There are things that are ongoing in our life. You know, I wish salvation just meant it's all done, clean, ready, you're in. Well... In one sense, it is. In one sense, when you and I were born again, we were brought into an immediate right relationship with God. There's a Bible word for that. It's called justification. Justification. When you were saved, you were put in right relationship with God. Then a process started. The Bible word for that is sanctification. So you weren't immediately changed completely. You know, being born again doesn't mean you have to deal with the flesh or anything. But over time, I would say if you look back, If you look back, you see great improvement in your life. Why? Because of the work of God in your life. You are not who you were. Praise God, and you're going to become more and more like Jesus the longer you live until you finally see him face to face, and you are are just like him, redeemed fully and completely. I look at it. Now, now those two topics we dealt with in great depth, if you'd like to study the theology behind them in the book of Romans, just search on the web, justification, sanctification. We spent weeks specifically on those two topics. They're so important that you are saved, and then there's an ongoing work of becoming like Jesus. It's sort of like getting married, you know, where you have the ceremony, the ceremony, you exchange your vows, you put the rings on, you do the unity candle or the unity sand, you take communion, you kiss, and you are married. Then the fun begins. <laughs> As you get to know one another. You were dating before. Now you're married. And I know we talk about which way the toilet paper is and putting the cap on their toothpaste, but you want to know some people found out that the person they married doesn't even brush their teeth. (laughs) There's a lot to find out about your spouse, huh? And then you turn around and go, well, you married me for better or for worse. Well, that's the commitment that God makes to you. You are married to Jesus. You are connected to him for better or worse. And you're not finding anything bad about Jesus, but you're finding out a lot about yourself. You know, that silliness of not brushing your teeth, it's pretty simple, huh? Just start brushing your teeth. It's the same with a lot of things in your life. You know, you're not doing this. And you're like, well, it's simple. Just do it. Just do it. (sighs) Cleansing is very important. One more thing before we finish off the chapter. A lot of people will come to this section and say, there's a contradiction in the Bible contradiction. They'll see this account of the cleansing of the temple here in John chapter 2 at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and they'll find another account of the cleansing of a temple of the temple in Luke's gospel. And they'll say, look, there are some differences between the two. And they'll say, look, there's a contradiction. Not a contradiction at all. Jesus cleansed the temple twice. One in the beginning of his ministry and one toward the end. Isn't that just like him? I mean, have you ever been there where you've gone through a great trial, chested your foundation? You're just like, oh, I made it through. I learned so much. Yes. Oh, this is awesome. I'm never going to have to. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. I'm never going to have to go through that again. 
No, no, and then there comes down, you make some progress in that new thing that you learned, and guess what? God comes and he comes and cleanses your temple again. Maybe on the same thing, maybe on something different. That's just the graciousness of our God. He loves us so much. He wants us to grow in him. So what's the response now? The response in verse 18 is, uh, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. They're still in the human realm. That was their biggest problem as spiritual leaders. They were so human. They were so earthly. They were so self-centered, so self-focused, so that when Jesus wants to give them a powerful insight, this is the first time he mentions this. He just was at the water. He just turned water to wine. Now he's giving, dropping the greatest doctrine that's ever come to the earth, the death and resurrection of the Savior of the world. And they look back at this temple and go, you can't destroy this. It took him 46 years. As a matter of fact, Herod, he flattened out that whole mountaintop there. It's still flat today. We call it the Temple Mount. He was still, the, the process of building the temple was still ongoing even at this time. It was, it was huge. It was monumental. Herod wanted to build one greater than ever before, and he succeeded. And they look at it. It's 46 years it's taken. You're going to destroy it, and in three days you're going to, and he says, no, 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 no. He didn't explain it to them, but those John is writing, goes, no, he's speaking of the temple of his body. He's talking about his death and resurrection. So much so it says in verse 22 that, therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciple remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Guys, it is very important for you to memorize the Bible. Memorize scripture. We're so committed to that that we give you something every month. On the front is, on the left-hand side is your Bible reading for the month every day. On the right-hand side is a prayer request for your church every day. On the back are a few scriptures that we've identified about the character, the nature, the love, the grace of God for you to memorize scripture, for you to take in the word of God. According to Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a protective thing. Not only that, it builds your faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it says here that when he had risen three years later now, this whole thing is coming, his words are coming back to encourage the disciples. His words come out at the right time. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was sent to us so that he will remind us the things that we've been taught. So please... Please memorize the Bible. Memorize scripture. Memorize chunks of the Bible. Memorize it. You never know if there comes a day when our Bibles are taken from us. And all you have left is what you've put into your heart. I know it's hard for you to conceive that in our country, but around the world it's happening. Around the world, Bibles are being taken away from true believers. Taken away and and removed from countries so that people can't hear the life-giving work and word of Jesus Christ. You know, the enemy knows the Bible, and the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all that believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It's a powerful book. No wonder there are people that want to take it out of your hands or take it out of country's hands. And Jesus, it says now in verse 23, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but... Jesus didn't commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There are a group of people that say, I believe, but there's also a group of people that say, I believe, and Jesus doesn't commit to them. He doesn't enter into relationship with them. Why? 
Because just saying you believe isn't enough. You, need, you must be born again, church. A work of God inside of you. It's possible to say you believe, and I'm sure you've met people like this, that we've talked, I talked to a young man after first service, that, that's been his life for the last five years. Oh yeah, he believed in God, but his life was a sin-filled train wreck off the rails. He told me that. He said, when I described that, when you said that, Pastor, that was my life for the last five years, and I'm just coming back, but I'm terrified. And I said, what are you terrified of? And some of the things he was terrified of really did not reflect the character and nature of God. He has nothing to be afraid of with God. Nothing. God's going to take good care of him. Because God even gave a parable, the parable of the prodigal, where we know when the son comes home, the dad throws a party for him embraces him. If you're a prodigal today, I want you to know God wants you back. He'll welcome you back. Oh, but Ed, my life is a wreck. I man, come back. And I've wasted everything. Ah, come back. And, and what will people think? Just come back. Oh, but I got my big brother. Yeah, come back to him too. He needs you. He needs you. He needs to see grace and action in your life. You don't have to worry about him. God will deal with him. You just come back. Come back today. Don't be the kind of person that says, I believe, and then everything in your life is completely the opposite of what you say. Where today you're living in sin. Where today you're living for sin. Where today, if we have the chance and you would open up, you would tell me that you love what you do. You love living in the darkness. It's, nobody can tell you any different. You're just fine. But the reality is, is you're not fine. You're not fine. God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you. He wants you to be in deep, full relationship with him. You don't want to be in that place where I believe, but then God, he doesn't commit himself to you because he knows your heart. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And I know I just want God to find in me a heart that's after him. You go, how do I know, Ed? How do I know my condition? Well, number one, you know yourself. You live with yourself. You know if you're saying what you're saying is not measuring up to what you're doing. But not only that, you can trust that God knows your heart. And he'll reveal it to you if you're open so that you can come back or to come to him for the very first time. Something to chew on, a couple things before we head out. First of all, the time in Jerusalem here at the Passover, it's just the religious rulers are there, leaders, um, people from all around, priests, um, scribes, Pharisees, they're all there. People are all there. And this is all going on. And we're going to be in chapter 3 next time we're together. And I just wonder if Nicodemus was watching all this go down and it just tripped him out. He's like, you know, all these questions that I've had, all these feelings, this guy seems to, he seems to be resonating with me. I need to talk to him. And then we're going to get to chapter three. So when you're reading ahead next time for our study, just consider that this is all going down and maybe Nicodemus is there just checking it all out going, wow. This is serious. I need to get more information from this man. But not only that, as I studied and meditated on this section of Scripture, both when I put the study together and on my time away, just thinking through things, some things, I came across a very interesting observation. And, and it, God, through this time away, just I saw it when I was studying, and he reaffirmed it in my heart during my time at the pastor's conference especially, where the supreme issue for Jesus was not Rome's army, but God's temple. 
The supreme issue for Jesus was not the governmental issues of the day, but the people living under the oppression of the government apart from God. Because if Jesus was really interested in overthrowing the Roman rule of the day, he could have easily brought an army in and wiped them out. He could have snapped his fingers and taken care of it. He could have called legions of angels down to wipe out the governmental structures of the day and establish his kingdom right then and there. But he didn't. Because the supreme issue in his heart wasn't governmental issues. The supreme issue in his heart, well, Jesus came to reconnect man with God because of sin. He came to die for us. That's not what the people expected. If Jesus would have came as the militant Messiah, people would have been happy. They were under the oppression of Rome. They were being mistreated. They, they, they had the thumb of the government upon them. Liberties were taken away from them. They would have gladly embraced a militant Messiah. But that's not how Jesus came. He came as a suffering servant. came to gave him, give himself for us. He came to die and rise again. And that's not what the people expected. It's not what the people want, many people wanted. And therefore they were disappointed and missed out on salvation because their supreme issue wasn't the supreme issue of God. So can I ask you, what's the supreme issue in your life? What is it? What just charges you? What moves you? What motivates you? I hope that the supreme issue in my life is the same as my Lord. I hope that when God's heart beats, that my heart beats with him. I'm not responsible for your life, but I am for mine. And I want God to develop in me a supreme desire to introduce people to him, to be used mildly by him. You know, next week we're going to lay out all kinds of cards and stickers and license plate frames and cards and all kinds of stuff, pens, tools that are designed to help you let people know that we're in town here as a church. That's all they are, just tools. And some people wonder, what do you do pens for and stickers for? Well, let me tell you this. If you put a Calvary sticker on your car, you will have immediate improvement in your driving habits overnight. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Whether it's a sticker of the church. People have, you know what? People put stickers on their car. People have followed people with stickers. You guys, some of you have stickers on your car of the church. People have actually come to church following you on a Sunday morning just not knowing where to go. I'm so glad you came to church and not Safeway. Because you're going to Safeway. They go, what are you doing here? Oh, just getting some milk. Well, I need Jesus, you know. Well, uh, church is right there, you know. We went last Saturday night, you know, whatever. But, but, but they're tools. That they're, they're, they really are nothing. They're paper and plastics. No big deal. Vinyl. But actually, they're a much bigger deal when they're in your hands because they're all designed to connect you with other people. That's it. That's all they're, That's the only reason we print them out. That's why we put the gospel. That's why we put our web. The only reason is for you to connect with other people. Like for some of you, you're going to go to lunch today. I hope when you go to lunch or maybe catch a late breakfast that not only are you interested in the ham and eggs that you're going to get, but you're interested in the waitress. And you look her in the eye and you see the need in her heart. And you look at her and you say, do you know that there's a God in heaven that loves you? And just trip, just like, whoa. Yeah, because you'll see it in her face, no doubt. Either she's saved or she'll start sharing with you whatever is in her heart. People need to know there's a God in heaven that loves them, sent his son Jesus Christ to die for them. And what God is doing in heaven, he's changing lives on earth right now, and you're the messenger. And so you have a little card and says, here's an invitation to church, but it's not about the card, it's about you. 
They don't need to come to church to get saved. You can save them right over the ham and eggs, right there on the table. You go, but my eggs are going to be cold. Too bad. It's amazing, though, you know, because sometimes you go, hey, do you know God in heaven? I don't believe in God. Now you think they're picking a fight with you, you know. It's like, God, bam, God loves you here. Bam, God loves you there. No, no, they're not picking a fight with you. They're just expressing their unbelief. That's all. And maybe if they are picking a fight, don't take it. You know, take the punch to the chin and just say, hey, I recognize you're in a place right now you don't believe in God. I believe in God. There's a church if you ever have any questions. And then you know what? At the appointed time, the phone rings. They tune into the radio station. They walk the property while we're here out pulling weeds or whatever. And you'd be amazed what God will do when you're in tune with the supreme issue of Jesus. And the supreme issue of Jesus is the salvation of men and women, boys and girls, on the earth today until he returns. And I hope that's your heart. Seeing people commit to Jesus and watching Jesus commit to them. So will you invite him in today? Will you ask him to clean your house? It's almost like God is saying to us, let me come in. I'll clean your house. I'll straighten it out. I'll throw out the junk that doesn't need to be there. And I will put in the stuff that does need to be there. And I'll help you to change. But you've got to invite him in. And when you do, he'll answer that prayer. Thank you for joining us today as we study through the Bible and learn of God's abounding grace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. So, Pastor Ed, today we saw a good example of righteous anger in our Lord Jesus. But maybe there's someone listening right now that is struggling with unrighteous anger. Next time they feel that anger welling up inside, what would you suggest? Well, I have to say, Larry, a lot of what we call righteous anger actually is unrighteous anger. And I think the big difference between the two is that righteous anger considers the glory of God, and unrighteous anger is a self-centered emotion. And if you're feeling like overwhelmed with unrighteous anger, like, you know, outbursts of wrath, if you've got a problem with anger, let me give you a couple of things. Number one, email me, and I'll send you a few resources, some links to things that you can use just to pour into your heart uh, that would encourage you. Things like forgiveness, you know, how about forgiving yourself? And what I mean by that is living in the forgiveness that you have by faith in Christ. So send me, email me. You can email me personally at ed at edtaylor.org. It has to be .org. And then right now, as you're listening right now, don't make the decision. Sleep on it or take a pause or get off social media for a while or stop watching the news. Or if it's a work situation, take a couple days off. And go out alone, you and the Lord, with your word and prayer. Ask someone that, that you trust, uh, that, you, that loves you, to, to stand beside you and help you through this. But please don't continue in unrighteous anger thinking that, well, I'm a, it's a righteous reason. You know, we can, we can even have the right reasons, but the wrong response. And just let the Lord be your defender. Let the Lord stand in the gap. And you enjoy him instead of allowing people to mess with you uh, in situations you have no control over. Just live in the freedom and forgiveness of the Lord. That is very helpful. Thanks, Ed. Are you interested in hearing this again? It's easy to do when you visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. 
Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that to your mobile device. We're really excited about this month's offer. It's a book written by Chuck Smith. It's Love, The More Excellent Way. We say and sing that love makes the world go around, that love is the answer, and all you need is love. But what is love, really? And why is it so hard for so many to find? That and more is explored in Love, The More Excellent Way. And we'll send it your way with the gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, we're at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it through our online store at calvaryco.store. And thank you for your support. We rely on the support of our listeners to bring the teaching of God's Word to stations like this every day. We're constantly hearing from folks all over the world that are being blessed, and your gifts help to make that possible. You can donate through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. How has Abounding Grace blessed you? We want to hear. And it's easy to share your thoughts and prayer requests at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Scroll down to the bottom of our homepage and connect with us. We'll return to the Gospel of John next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.